I'd like to welcome our first sponsor to the official Do Good Better podcast, and that is DonorDoc. Listen, as a nonprofit, DonorDoc knows that you wear many different hats, and that's why they are here to help you make your life easier. DonorDoc helps you connect with your donors on a deeper level and provides you with the tools to become the ultimate fundraiser. There are other instantly cool features too, but we know connecting and staying connected with your donors are high on most of your priority lists. Hey, guess what? DonorDoc is so awesome, and I'm telling you, so awesome, that to everyone listening, they are giving you a 100% discount off your first month. That's right, 100% off. It's absolutely free to use for your first month. All you have to do is use the referral code DOGOODBETTER, and you're set. Again, do good better. It's simple. It's easy. Head to DonorDoc.com to learn more and get started. Hey, thanks, DonorDoc, for being an official sponsor of the official Do Good Better podcast. It turned out to be very significant because what all was that was needed was these tubes of cream that cost like $8. But every couple of weeks I had to go back with a new tube of cream. And so every couple of weeks I was going to the same family. And at first I just handed over the tube of cream. And then I was invited in. And then I was given tea. And then the neighbors came around. And actually that's how I got involved with the community was by learning from them what their needs were and what their, what their life was like. Your organization is awesome. But sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. And of course, this show is dedicated to small nonprofits doing great big things. We are in for a treat today because not only do we have uh, the co-founder of a wonderfully awesome nonprofit we're going to talk about, but we're also blessed to have her as, uh, as an author, uh, as, a, as sort of a guide for storytelling. We're going to talk about a lot of things today. It's going to be great. So with me today, uh, Elizabeth uh, Gowing, she is, is an author. She is the co-founder of the Ideas Partnership. And by the way, I'm going to mention she is now officially a citizen of Kosovo. And why is that important? Well, you're going to find out in a little bit. Elizabeth, welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. <laughs> Thanks very much, Patrick. So if somebody's scrolling through um, their social media feed, they're scrolling through uh, Apple Podcasts, they stumble across the official Do Good Better podcast, they see Elizabeth Gowing, they see the Ideas Partnership. This intrigues them greatly, but they have no idea kind of what you do and who you are and what this is. So from a 5,000-foot view, who are you? What do you do? Uh, give us some bio here. The floor is yours. Go. Thank you. Well, I started off as a writer, and I guess that that combines then with the fact that uh, 10 years ago, nearly 11 years ago now, I co-founded the Ideas Partnership, which works in Kosovo. And so I've had these two parts of my life, um, working with the poorest communities in Kosovo for over a decade, working mainly with rubbish picking communities. So kids who go out begging, kids who are on the streets going through the rubbish and trying to get those children into school, but also trying to support that community to support itself through becoming better educated, better advocates for their own needs and rights, um, working on health projects too. And then realizing that actually part of what I could do to support would be as a storyteller. And so the work that I've done since then on uh, learning about the research on what makes for powerful stories and supporting other nonprofits with then telling their stories. Interesting. So 
talk to me kind of about the the beginning. So, it, 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 were you always drawn towards the Balkans, drawn towards Kosovo? How did how did you, as a writer, uh, develop this sort of um, understanding of a need to either share stories or get involved? Um, because I don't know if anybody else can hear the accent doesn't sort of match <laughs> what I imagine a, uh, a a Kosovo accent does. So, how did how did you go from UK to Kosovo, and what does that transition look like? Yeah, good question. Um, well, I was a teacher in London, and I have been for a while. And then my po- partner and I were ready for some kind of an adventure. And he had been working uh, with the British government on Southeast Europe in various roles, and then was offered a job at really short notice um, to go out to Kosovo, in fact, to work with the, pres- the Prime Minister of Kosovo at the time as an advisor. And 10 days after he was offered that job, our house was packed up. And 10 days after that, we were there in a country like I honestly would not have been able to find on the map, um, which was, and the idea was that we were there for six months. So we threw ourselves into it for six months, thinking that, you know, we've got to have a lifetime's worth of experiences in this short time. Um, And perhaps inevitably, as a result, we then, you know, got sucked into much more than six months. We started learning the language. We made lots of good friends. We realized all the other places we wanted to visit in the region and the things we wanted to do and ways that we could contribute and so, yeah, we've been there now for 14 years um, and splitting our time between Kosovo and the UK um, for some periods, depending on the, the work available, but with a base always there. So, that sounds uh, yeah, I was a, uh, probably glad that I didn't know at the time it was going to be 14 years because right. maybe I wouldn't have gone at 10 days notice. <laughs> Those six months of enthusiasm wouldn't have been necessarily as intense <laughs> as they would have been. So you, so you're in Kosovo, um, you, uh, you, you're sort of uh, living all the six months of uh, enthusiastic gusto that you can uh, muster up. And then you get sort of sucked into the culture and then specifically nonprofit work. How did that translate and how did you get locked into um, the work that you do now? Yeah, uh, almost by accident. So as a teacher, I was always wanting to support with education. And I'd started a few initiatives that uh, worked with kids in learning English and worked with volunteers. Our our nonprofit is largely volunteer based. And that's something that's quite unusual in Kosovo. So we're now the second largest volunteer organization in Kosovo, uh, although we also have a small local staff. And so we were, were working in general about those things. And that's why we set up the nonprofit to start with and probably thank goodness we chose quite a general name the ideas partnership because we never would have imagined that we were going to end up working with the communities that we do um, until just by chance I was walking through the community where um where this Roma, Ashkali and Egyptians, this, these particular groups who are particularly marginalized in Kosovo live. And a woman came running out of her house and said to me, please help me. You've got to help my son. And, uh, she had her three-year-old in her arms and she pulled down his trousers and showed me this terrible burns that he had had. Um, he had uh, had a pan of boiling water pulled Mm. down from the stove and he was really badly burnt. And she said, please help. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I, I didn't have any expertise that I could help with and I didn't know what she needed. Uh, the burns had obviously not just happened. They looked like they were maybe a week or some weeks old. But uh, And I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't help you. And I walked away. And uh, I couldn't walk very far because, you know, it was a very vivid image and a you know, very vivid appeal. But I also didn't know what the right thing to do was to help her. So I called a friend who was a doctor who said, you know, yeah, go back and get some details and find out what you can do to help. And 
to cut a long story short, what ended up being the way to help in the short term was simply actually to buy some cream for the boy because the skin was so, because he was so young, the skin would need to be operated again when he was older and the skin just had to be kept supple. And that turned out to be very significant because what all was that was needed was these tubes of cream that cost like $8. But every couple of weeks, I had to go back with a new tube of cream. And so every couple of weeks, I was going to the same family. And at first, I just handed over the tube of cream. And then I was invited in. And then I was given tea. And then the neighbors came around. And actually, that's how I got involved with the community was by learning from them what their needs were and what their what their life was like. And that's how I started to see how I could support. So I'm, I've tried to hold on to that very organic nature of work, the work because I think the success that we had was because of going in like that and not going in with a clipboard and a project plan, and um, which is how we're all encouraged to work. <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of nonprofits, especially nowadays, uh, which are sort of uh, inundated with the amount of things they have to do and they get really confused on um, what their true north is. So it's really wonderful to hear sort of an origin story that you are reminded of every single time that you kind of go to work and understand that if I hone in on that particular story, that particular moment where I made impact, that this was the start, if that's your true north, regardless of what you do every day, I think you're going to be in pretty good hands. And I think a lot of nonprofits can sort of um, learn from that to say, if you're ever sort of lost on what to do next, um, remember why you're doing it in the first place and everything's going to kind of fall into places as uh, whether it's board decision or executive decision or maybe marketing for goodness sakes. Um, I think that's really great. So talk to me about the, the, the name, the ideas partnership. That's a, the nonprofit organization that you co-founded. Um, talk to me about the, why that as a name and does it have any sort of, um, uh, Let's start there. Why the ideas partnership? <laughs> well, we had quite a debate. So me and my partner, Robert Wilton, he is also a co-founder and Ardiana Rifai, who's our Kosovan friend. We had quite long discussions and in the end, we wanted something that didn't tie us to a particular kind of project. And like I say, that's a really good thing because at the beginning we were working on education, yes, but with very different groups of kids, with more affluent kids, but helping them with English. We were also working on cultural heritage projects, which we still do to a certain extent, and on environmental projects, which we've incorporated now into our pro-poor kind of economic development work and support. Um, but we needed something that could kind of hold all of that together. And so of course, partnership's important. And of course, ideas are important. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, you know, it's, uh, no one can disagree with that. <laughs> I don't think so at all. Um, regardless of size or how long you've been doing it, uh, organizations and nonprofits always have um, crazy, big, hairy, audacious goals. And we'd love to hear those here on the official Do Good Better podcast. So what is something that you have planned in the future? You've got great big uh, plans to do for the ideas partnership. Probably our biggest dream, which is now frighteningly close to coming true, so we might need to have get a new one. <laughs> but um, the biggest dream we've always had is of having our own centre where our activities can be done. We're working in five municipalities, but uh, the one the one where that little boy lives, um, who I first met, is still our biggest project, uh, and he still comes to our activities, even though you know he was three then and he's ten now, yeah. <laughs> um, eleven now. Mm -hmm. um, we have a, a rented space at the moment where we have 
about 300 people use it in an average week uh, from we have a kindergarten every day in two shifts we have activities uh, from pregnant women so and uh, checkups for them with a midwife we have kids who aren't in school who have education with lessons with us and kids who are in school who have extra support and things like robotics club or stuff that adds value to their school learning and then we also have adult literacy for mums who want to learn to read and write to support their kids at home we have a social enterprise for for women um, and so all of these things take all these life-changing things happen in one space which is currently not really fit for purpose we have um we also have physiotherapy classes for kids with disabilities and they still you know they have to be lifted by their mothers often up a couple of steps we have pregnant women having to go up to the second floor you know it's not great and so we've always dreamt of having a space that would be purpose-built also that would be a model of environmentally friendly architecture and engineering building techniques um, and also that could have the in the local community employed in the building of it so that it was a training and also a, um, a kind of investment from local people and you know you sometimes you just have to keep repeating your dreams to anyone that you can talk to and yep. uh, we have now had a grant from the UEFA Foundation, uh, a grant from the Acom Foundation, Big Engineering Company Foundation. Plus, I think the last time I counted, it was 82 private donors who have all pitched in to enable this to start. We've got the plans produced pro bono by this wonderful architects firm, Western Williamson in London, who are award winning firm who design huge uh, civil engineering projects and are now making our little centre to be something really special. And the ground should be broken in the first week of August. So that is going to be a dream come true. <laughs> Holy buckets. Congratulations. That is fantastic. And only in a, in a small span of time too. I mean, that's really, this is not a, a long span in the, in the nonprofit, uh, you know, lifespan too. So kudos and congratulations to you. Um, you mentioned a lot of, uh, a lot of things already, but there are, uh, probably a number of different, uh, nonprofit organizations that work with, um, your, your sort of individual groups, uh, with, you know, within the region that you work with. What separates you and the ideas partnership from everybody else? What makes you different and unique that you can kind of just brag a little bit about? I think today, <laughs> I'm right? To brag? No, <laughs> we don't brag. We just celebrate. We'll get to that in a second too. Um, but what do you do differently than most uh, other organizations who work sort of in your your particular population? I think one of the things we're proudest of is something we didn't start off with as a, a model, but we've kind of retro engineered it so that now it is a part of everything we want to do. And that's that we work at three levels. So the first level is um, helping people in need. And that would be, you know, handing over the tube of cream for the burnt child. And it's mm -hmm. that instinctive, immediate, of course, during the COVID-19 pandemic, we've had to do a lot of, a lot more than normal of handing out a food package or, you know, face mask or whatever that's needed. Um, but of course, you know, all NGOs now are thinking about moving from that to helping people in need to help themselves. And so we certainly do that. And education is a huge part of that for adults and for children, and also our social enterprise for women, which enables them to be the, the earners and to the, then comes decision making within their families. And also the women in our project are involved on condition that their kids go to school. So we're kind of getting kids off the street in the, as their mothers are also earning money. But the third level, I think, is where we're unusual. So not just helping people in need, not just helping people in need to help themselves, but helping the people in need to help others in need. Mm. So we're trying to transform the people, not just to be 
beneficiaries, not just to, you know, be grateful recipients, but to be active agents in transformation of their life chances and their communities. And we've got some really specific ways that we do that. Um, one of the most successful things has been our bursary program. So we uh, offer adults the chance to go back to evening classes to get their high school certificate, or we offer support for youngsters or adults who want to go to university. Um, and we pay them money for those um, those education and training but we ask the individuals to choose something they want to do every week to give back to their community or to pay it forward to their community and they can decide so one guy ran a football club lots of them come and teach at our center somebody else who had a beat up car used to offer a free trip to hospital every week for anyone from his community so people choose what fits with their interests but those people are now the real role models in their community and they're very visible and of course they're they're talking about the choices they've made and the education they're getting and we've had some wonderful examples of people who've gone through that program probably the most successful I mean we can't have everybody doing this but the most successful is now a deputy minister mm. so the idea that one of the guys from our community who we supported through university is now you know making huge changes for his community uh, another guy is uh, on the municipal assembly so he's you know a key part of representing his community and making decisions um but we have other programs like that. So we started um, a while back, we realized that there were no teachers or in fact, any staff, not cleaners, not secretaries, not uh, caretakers uh, from the community in the school that the kids we support go to. And part of the reason for that is that there are no trained teachers from that community. And so we started a long term project of getting some teachers which meant that six years ago we identified a group of 13 14 year olds who we thought had the potential the leadership potential the academic potential to become teachers and we ran a one of our volunteers ran a session for them every week uh supporting them in uh, critical thinking and in pedagogy and we, they got a t-shirt and uh, they were kind of motivated always <laughs> and they also used to help us in our projects on Saturdays and we told them that if they went on to train to be teachers we would support them through high school through university and the first of the kids who was in that program is now in her second year of training to be a teacher so that's just, you know, transformation for one person, but also for all of those kids she will go on to teach from her community and from other communities. So uh, that feels like uh, really supporting people in need to then go on and support others in need. Usually my next question that follows up, um, what do you do differently than anybody else is documented successes. So I don't even have to ask that question because you just rolled through a whole bunch, which is just extraordinary <laughs> and, uh, and fantastic. And, and really that is, I think when you're looking at a nonprofit and you're looking as a donor, let's just say, and or as somebody who wants to support, um, they're looking always at impact. And I think uh, the demonstration here of not just surface level, but really transformative uh, impact that you're making is so unbelievably remarkable in, in a place where, admittedly, I think a lot of people don't think about or don't think uh, of. And I think that's where I, I'm so intrigued by what you do and how this sort of works is, um, and which I, why I love the show is just kind of expose and, and shed light on, uh, people who are doing amazing things, uh, that aren't common to everybody else's brain. And I think that's such a, a unique and awesome thing. So kudos to you. I love that. Um, we like to celebrate. I, I, I ping this up earlier and we don't think it's bragging. Um, we think it's great and we think it's, you know, donors want to you know, be on a winning team and they want to do great things outside of the new building. 
um, which is awesome and the groundbreaking that you get to have early August. Um, what thing can we help you celebrate? What thing can you just you know shout from the rooftops here that we at the official Do Good Better podcast can high five you from afar uh, mm-hmm. and celebrate a big win or a small win or anything in between uh, about what the Ideas Partnership has accomplished over the last couple of months or maybe even the year? Um, well, there's something that's almost been accomplished. I don't know. So <laughs> maybe count, I'm counting it. Approved. <laughs> Approved. So we um, have this non, uh, sorry, this social enterprise that I was talking about where we work with women either from this excluded Romash Kalin Egyptian communities or ethnically from the majority community, but who are out in the villages and don't have access to the to the job market. Um, and we've had that project running. In fact, it's registered as a business, but it's a social business with all the profit going back to the women for 10 years now. And we just uh, last week heard that we have a grant from a private donor to pay the salary of a new coordinator. And it looks like, and this is the bit that's not yet uh, confirmed, but it looks like we are going to be able to have for the first time a woman from the community who will lead that project. So up till now, it's always been either me doing it and I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm wasn't even born a Kosovar. Okay, now I've got the citizenship, but I'm not Roma Ashkali Egyptian. I'm not from that community. I haven't lived that experience. Or it's been someone from the majority community, and we've had some some great women who've supported us in that journey. But the idea that we will soon have somebody from the community is feels like a, a real achievement and a real sustainable way to to grow that that part of our work. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing win, and I think that's only going to uh, really help build momentum for others who are going to watch that and say, "Why well, why not me too? I could I could probably help and 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 do this as a." As, that's wonderful. Congratulations. Kudos to you. Um, most nonprofits can't get from point A to point B without a lot of help and, uh, and folks who've helped along the way. So as part of the show, we really like to celebrate and appreciate uh, those donors and supporters who helped uh, you, especially here at the Ideas Partnership, uh, get to where you are. So is there a, a handful of people or some uh, individual or a business that you'd like to give a special shout out to today uh, on uh, how you got from where you were to where you are and uh, acknowledge them in a giant appreciation way today. There are so many people like you say, so it is a really hard question, but um, we're going to consider this kind of like the Oscars where you get the short list. I'm not going to play music <laughs> to sort of sweep you off, but the, just kind of the, the, the cool kind of folks, I'm going to give you as much time as what I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, yeah, it is really tricky to identify anyone. But if you think, if I think back to over such a long time that we've been going, there are some people who've been with us for that whole journey, which is, you know, especially when you're now more than a decade, that's, that feels like great commitment. And a great example of that is a guy called Ben Andrews, who came to us when he was a university student, he and his then girlfriend, now wife, and they uh, turned up in Kosovo uh, one summer and said that they wanted to be volunteers with us. And we were just starting the social enterprise that I was talking about and we were starting with sewing tote bags. So trying to offer those as an alternative to plastic bags and giving, we um, found some funding from the British embassy for sewing machines for women and training on how to use them so they could make these bags. Um, But what we needed was somebody to be based in this community 
not in fact not the community I was just talking about but one even further away from from the capital to go and be based there for a few weeks to work with the women on on the sewing machines and Ben and Sarah said that they were up for that and so we said well problem is we haven't got any accommodation for you and they said that's fine we'll you know we'll find a place to stay and between us and other organizations we managed to get them to stay in the house of one of the uh, families in the community and we Rob my partner and I always refer to Ben as sleeping bag Ben because the first time Rob met him was to literally throw out of the window of his office a sleeping bag so that Ben could grab it and then rush off to go and stay in an unknown village to um, help people with their sewing machines so you know that was quite a start and that was 10 years ago in that time Ben has now graduated and you know got a job and and at and it's him who put us in touch with ACOM, the engineering company, who have, um, first of all, started uh, ordering bags from us, tote bags, to give out to their staff in their New Year um, presents. But then uh, also put us in touch with the ACOM Foundation, which is their, their CSR wing, and who have given us this grant and so much of the help for building the center. So I think that's that's just been a wonderful model of volunteering and like giving your time and, you know, your sleeping bag <laughs> to uh, actually being part of something. But then over such a long period supporting, I mean, Ben supported us with his own money, but also with his social capital. And I often see that with um, that people don't appreciate sometimes what they can bring to nonprofits. Uh, they say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I can't volunteer. Sorry, I'm too poor. I can't give money. But the third thing that people have, which is sometimes just as valuable as their time and their money is their social capital and Ben Ben has done all of those things and so yeah we're really grateful to him and then all of the colleagues he's brought on board since um he's got a particularly active colleague called uh, Chris Loisov at ACOM who's really spearheaded the um work that we've done on the center so yeah he he stands for a lot of people he stands for all our volunteers he stands for all of our individual donors and he stands for our um the people who've put us in touch with others so we're very grateful to him. <laughs> I really like all of your uh, your origin stories are just people who randomly show up at places that don't expect to last a long time and, play, and then they're just there forever. I think that's a very good indicator that you've got something great going on there. And as a, a token of my appreciation for you being on the show, I'd like to help you in fundraising wherever I can. So is there a fundraising question that I can help you, uh, Elizabeth, with the Ideas Partnership and how I can help? <laughs> um. I think in some ways, actually, it comes out of that experience with ACOM. But we're just really aware that uh, we haven't got, apart from our ACOM connection, any corporate support. Mm. And I mean, America is a very different country from from the UK and both are very different from Kosovo. Mm. So um, it's harder. It's harder in Britain and then it's harder again in Kosovo to find companies who are up for those kinds of partnerships. Mm. Um, But I I know that there those partnerships exist and you've said all the kind things about our work. I know our work's great. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I feel like if there are companies looking to partner with a charity, mm-hmm. then we should be on their list, but I don't know quite how to get us there. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, it, it's, it is using your, um, your Ben Andrews story with other people who are connected within the community to, to empower them to go to businesses that may, may have a better relationship with than you might um, either as a local uh, sort of boots on the ground individual who's in Kosovo who's just been there forever and just kind of loves the idea and work that you do. Uh, sometimes that third party endorsement is better than that first party solicitation. Most occasions, right? Yeah. So the ones who are speaking on your behalf who have no 
you know, monetary or, or benefit initially are the ones that have the loudest voice and potential door opening than yourself, because I, you're the most passionate human being about this, right? Um, it's expected of you to talk about and to ask for folks. It's unexpected that somebody randomly who has been moved by your story or your impact to go up to their bosses or their connections within the business community and say, I don't know if you've heard, but this, you know, this ideas partnership is doing some amazing things. And let me tell you why I support them. And would you consider doing it yourself? If you can empower those, if you get an army of Ben's, right, Mm -hmm. if you have them go out into the community that they're connected with, you're more likely to have folks interested because it doesn't come from you. For some reason, this is a thing uh, where, you you know, the the expectation is, of course, you're going to ask them to partner up and be uh, corporate sponsors. It's unexpected, though, uh, from others who aren't associated on a daily basis with what you do. So those 80 current donors are no 80 different companies who may know 160 different companies that might be interested in what you're doing. And then you're coming in as the closer, as the storyteller to come in and say, this is your impact that you can make. And we're almost there. You also have the advantage of all these other organizations and grants in the works and you're already groundbreaking. And so the hardest thing I think for a donor and even a corporate sponsor is to be the first one. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to take the risk of like, I don't know what you do, but I don't want to be the first person. You're already down the road. And so now people can play catch up. Of course, I want to be on that winning team, right? It goes back to that celebration piece. Uh, You telling the story of your successes from somebody who's introduced you as a third party entity is going to be uh, perfect. And I think you're going to explode once that once that shovel hits the ground. (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be pretty amazing. Um, part of, I mean, I can't escape, uh, asking for your advice, uh, for other nonprofits as a story writer before we go. I know this is a highlight on the ideas partnership and I want everybody to give a bunch of money and we're going to get a pitch at the end of here. Um, but for those who are, are listening to the particular podcast and they are looking for ideas on how to storytell. I think that's really a struggle bus that a lot of nonprofits have right now, which is how do you, in a, in a COVID-19 pandemic world we live in, where's our priority in storytelling? Is there any sort of bit of advice as sort of a, the, you know, your professional storytelling and writing uh, that you can help guide other nonprofits? What do we need to talk about right now? What is, what is the main point that seems to be gravi- you know, pulling on heartstrings a little bit more than others? I think that the life-changing research that I read about storytelling for nonprofits um, stays true now and in a pandemic and whenever. And that's what's really shaped the way that I've told our story, but also uh, actually it's shaped our programming so that it's shaped the stories we can tell. Um, and that's some research that was done by Bond, by the uh, Aid Tracker organization, who which has a bunch of people uh, from academia. It's got uh, University College London, plus it's got Oxfam and it's got the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So it's a really, you know, very respected uh, piece of research. And they looked at um, the ways that different kinds of storytellers were perceived. So, and by storytellers, I mean the, the messenger that's used in the story. And they plotted those people against two axes, the axes of how warm they are perceived to be and how competent. And obviously what we want is somebody who is considered very warm and very competent. And the results were a bit surprising and a bit disappointing. Um, 
surprising because, for example, celebrities who, you know, everybody would be desperate to get an A-lister to come out to their, see their work, were really considered not very competent, which perhaps is fair enough because there's no reason why a celebrity should be competent in in (laughs) national development and not even that warm necessarily. Um, most disappointing of all was that beneficiaries, so the people who are recipients of the of the aid, were considered even less, even less competent and even less warm. And yet those are the people whose voices we want to amplify and those are the people, you know, we want to give them that platform, that dignity. So the pieces, the people who were identified as being highly warm and competent were identified as uh, volunteers and frontline workers. So what we have been trying to do over the last few years is to find volunteers and frontline workers who are also beneficiaries, which goes back to what I was saying about helping people in need to help others in need. Mm -hmm. And when you start looking for them, and when I work with nonprofits and my consultancy and say this to them, some of them, they say, well, we haven't got any, Uh, you know, none of our frontline workers are from the communities that we're serving. But then I say, well, what about volunteers? What about people? What about the mother who is the first to vaccinate her child? Or, you know, what about the dad who says, yeah, my daughter's not going to get married until she's 18. Um, You know, I'm going to protect her rights. Mm -hmm. Those are advocates and heroes and heroines in their communities. And so we need to be using them as our frontline workers, even if that technically they haven't got a position in that, but they're the ones who are making the difference. Um, And of course, your staff, I mean, our staff, 50% of them are from the community. And so they, you know, we try to tell their stories of what they are doing for their communities. And it seems that that is the, you know, that's the, the magic connection you can make where you are telling the story of a frontline worker or of a volunteer, but they are also from the group that you are serving. And so they can bring in that, that, um, that voice and um, honor that um, approach that we want to have. Um, and it's certainly um, proved to be really popular with our, with our donors and the people who read our newsletters, because those feel very authentic, those stories. It's not the story of, you know, it's not my story as a woman coming out from Britain and talking about, you know, the extraordinary things I saw. It's somebody talking about their neighbors and how they've seen change in their community. I so appreciate that perspective. And I'm, I know that everybody listening is kind of nodding their head and their gears are turning about who is somebody who's a frontline, who's also been benefited by the impact that their organization's doing. Their gears are churning. And I think you're going to help a lot of people with that. So thank you so much. All right. So this comes to this, this now, nobody listening or nobody watching this has any excuse anymore. You're sitting on a, ca- a sack of cash. You've got it sitting under your bed. Get it out. How do we give it and how do we support you, Elizabeth, and the Ideas Partnership? How do we get a hold of you? How, how do we get interested? How do we sign up for things? And how, most importantly, how can we throw you a bunch of gifts for being awesome and making awesome impact? <laughs> what a nice question. <laughs> so the answer is, well, the Ideas Partnership is, has a website, theideaspartnership.org. And there you have all the details of you know bank transfers. We're also on global giving. So that's always a very effective way to give. And we have four projects on there. Um, my website is elizabethgowing.com. And there you can sign up for my free webinars that I give every month on storytelling for nonprofits. Um, And also that's the contact details for having me as a consultant or or a trainer with you or your or your team. And there's the details about my books and my other writing on there. Um, So there's no excuse, really. There's plenty of ways to find us. (laughs) Facebook, we're on both of us, me and the Ideas Partnership, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Yeah, you're going to find us. (laughs) 
And of course, uh, with every show, we're going to have all those links in the uh, show notes. And so go click on there below, finish this podcast, and then go click on below and go give a bunch of money and go follow Elizabeth and go hire her and then go give more money in the same place. (laughs) Elizabeth Gowing, thank you so much for being a guest on the official Do Good Better podcast. This has been so fun. I, I love learning about what you do. I've loved sort of um, your perspective and uh, it's just been so nice chatting with you today. Thanks so much for being a guest. <laughs> Thanks a lot to you. All right. We'll talk to you next time here on the official Do Good Better podcast. There are countless videos, books, articles, and folks out there with suggestions on how to raise more money. Of course, that's a major problem. Too much information. Do Good University has an online library of lectures, courses, and trainings that concentrate on one thing, making fundraising simple. Come join other like-minded do-gooders who are looking to unclutter their fundraising life. Enroll at Do Good University today at dogoodbetterconsulting.com.